ourselves. I'm Holly. And I'm Liz, and we're excited just to dive right in. So the first section was actually a new one for our episodes. It's called Bookish Buzz, and it's going to be all about bookish news. So the first um, section of this is going to be about films and adaptations, as we've had quite a lot of news recently around that. And the first one is Neil Gaiman has announced another adaptation of one of his books. This time it's Anansi Oys, and this will be filmed in Scotland this year um, for Amazon Prime. So that's really exciting. I haven't actually read that one. Have you, have you Holly? You know, I, I'm a little ashamed to say I don't think I've read any of his books. <sighs> no, oh, Neil Gaiman, he's a genius when it comes to, to fantasy books, yeah. but I haven't read that one. That one is definitely going to be added to my, my TBR list now. So I'm assuming since you said um, another adaptation that he's already made a movie for this book? Uh, or no, uh, another adaptation as in, like, he's adapted uh, various other books. So he's adapted quite a few now. We've had um, Ocean at the End of the Lane um, became a play and was on Broadway for a bit. Oh, wow. We've had Good Omens, um, which I don't think you've seen, with, um, which was his book with Terry Pratchett. Um and various other ones. Oh, American Gods as well, which became a TV series. So he's had quite a lot of adaptations. Um, so yeah, we'll see what this one, what happens with this one. So maybe I should add those to my uh, TBR list. Yeah, you need to add some of yes, some of too. Coraline. Have you ever seen Coraline? Yes. That's him. Oh, that is him getting. Okay. That's based on his book. You, the book is brilliant. You need to watch, You need to read that book. Okay. Very well, short, but very quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, another. Um, major best selling book that's going to be hitting the big screens is none other than where the crawdads sing um i'm sure have you read that one liz oh i love that book that was such a good one i think i read it um ended last year yeah. but yeah i'm really looking forward to that and and who's been cast in that have we had yet so yeah so the the cast has been announced uh the movie will be being released in june of next year so it's gonna hopefully be one of the next summer's big blockbusters um, but Daisy Edgar Jones is cast to play Kyra. And on top of that, interestingly enough, Reese Witherspoon is going to be producing it. So it's going to be pretty exciting and um, pretty fun. So we have some upcoming cool movies to, to put on our uh, to watch list. Um, that is very exciting. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, and of course, there's some other news in the bookish world. Not all of it's always good. So, um, you know, it's always sad when we hear about people in the book world passing away. Um, but there have been a couple that have passed away in the last month. So one of those would be author William Nolan. He passed away on um, July 24th. And he's pretty well known for um, being a sci-fi author. And he had a long-running series called Logan's Run. So, um, so he passed away. So that's gonna, he's going to be missed in the sci-fi world. Okay, I haven't actually heard of him, but there was, um, unfortunately, there was another, um, quite a, a well-known one, especially over here. Um, she was a crime and, and thriller novelist um, called Mo Hader, and she passed away on 27th of July. And she wrote quite a few books. Um, one of them was Pig Island, which I read. Uh, so, yeah, July was quite a quite a tough month for, for losses. Yeah, so sad. Um, and then, of course, our last little piece in our bookish bugs 
bookish buzz, trying to say that five times fast, our bookish buzz segment is there's there's a lot of international book awards out there. Um, and some have recently released some of their uh, finalists and their long list. So the Booker Prize released their long list of their nominees. And the Booker Prize is one of those um, international uh, book awards. It's been around for a long time. They gave out their first award back in 1969. But they released their long list uh, back on July 27th. And so they released 13 books. And as I was looking through the list, I'm sad again to say that I haven't read any of them. Uh, but they include books like No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood, An Island by Karen Jennings, and The Sweetness of Water by Nathan Harris. So there's a total of 13 books released on their long list. Uh, the short list will be announced on September 14th, and then the winner will be announced on November 3rd. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what that, how they kind of break that down. The, the short list will consist of six out of the 13. So that'll be something to kind of keep on our watch list. And then the- yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always interesting to see, kind of see who wins the prize each year. And yeah, just like you, I've had a look through. And I didn't really recognize any of them. I recognized one of the authors, um, but not that book. So it's definitely going to be quite a few titles to, to watch out for. Absolutely. And then the other one that's coming up is the World Fantasy Book Award uh, finalists were announced on July 22nd. So they released five finalists for their novel award. uh, And I was actually really excited to know that I heard of one of them. So one of the uh, books that has been nominated as a finalist is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And I think, Liz, you said you'd heard of another one of them. Uh, yeah, I'd also heard of Piranesi uh, by Susanna Clark, I believe it was. Um, but in American Gothic is definitely, well, sorry, Mexican Gothic is definitely one that's on my list um, to read. It does sound really interesting. And I've heard a lot on, on the Bookstagram um, pages about it. Yeah, me too. It's definitely been on my to-be-read list as well. So that uh, that list has come out, and the winner for the World Fantasy Book Award will be announced in early November as well. So definitely some things to watch for and to see how the voting goes and when the uh, winners are announced. So that is our new segment called Bookish Buzz. So we're going to take just a second break, and then we're going to come back with our next segment, which is What You're Reading. And I'm super excited because we have a guest author with us today to do an author interview, and he has popped in already. So if he is going, if he's live and wants to participate, we're going to drag him into our What You're Reading segment, see what he's reading and what he's been working on. So... Um, we'll take a quick break. All right. So we're going to start our What You're Reading section. But before we do, I would like to welcome Caleb Ortega onto our show. So welcome, Caleb. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we're going to introduce you more officially when we get into our, our author interview segment. But uh, Caleb is an author. He has um, quite a few books that have been coming out recently. He's just pumping them out, and I don't know how he's doing it so quickly, but we'll talk about that because he has a whole plan in place. So this segment is really just talking about what we've been reading and what we're currently reading. So over this past month, Liz, let's let's see what what we've been reading and see how it differs from um, what Caleb's been reading. So... (laughs) 
I have just finished uh, reading Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. So she's the author of the Six of Crows series and um, Shadow and Bone series. But this was a little different. Have, have either of you read this? I haven't read that one, you know. That one is definitely on my TV. I, I, obviously, as you know, I loved the the Six of Crows series and the whole Greek verse. So that one is definitely on my, my TBR. What do you think of it? I really, it, I, I liked it. It took me a little while to to kind of connect to it. It's just a different type of fantasy. Like the fantasies I have read recently are, are in these created fantastical worlds. Um, you like Elfheim and, you know, all, all of those other types of Valeris and, you know, the worlds that are, are just created in the author's mind. This is a fantasy that takes place on the campus of Yale, Un- Yale University in Connecticut. So it's a real place um, with real, you know, buildings and street names and things. And, you know, I don't know, maybe if it's because I lived in Connecticut for a couple years and I'm familiar with that area that it just, it was hard to kind of, you know, reconcile the idea that there's magic going mm-hmm. on um, here. But in the end, I really liked it, and I guess there's, you know, she has plans to make this into, like, a five-book series, so I'm eager to see how it goes. So I liked it enough that I'm definitely going to want to read uh, the the next the next books in the series. Um, okay. Would, would you say that the writing's on par with, with her previous works, or, or I, better? I would. I, I would say that it's a little bit... Um, uh, it's different. I feel like it's a little bit more elevated, a little bit more, um, I wouldn't necessarily classify it in young adult like I would the other ones. So it's a little bit more, I don't know if sophisticated is the best word, uh, but it's just, it has like a different tone to it. She's, it still has the dark yeah. gritty, like I still felt like everything was dark and it was kind of grungy. So I still enjoyed that aspect of it. Okay. So it still had a kind of Six of Crows theme, but maybe a bit more adult, a bit more kind of, yeah. a bit more mature as such. Yeah. What What did you finish in the last month? And then we'll see what Caleb's been reading. Yes, yeah, so um, obviously, apart from the wonderful um, The Writer and the Throne, <laughs> um, I've just <laughs> finished literally this morning um, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. Um, I've been doing this with a, a as a buddy read uh, with a friend of mine reading with Sienna. Um First book, uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses, it was good, but this one really kind of brought it up a notch. Like the character arcs were a lot more mature and a lot more developed, uh, and it was just so much more engaging, a lot more action, a lot more kind of, a lot more things happening. So I really enjoyed that. Oh, you've read that, read this one as well, haven't you? I have. I've read the series, and I'm probably one of the ones who has a more unpopular opinion of that series. <laughs> Um, I liked it, but I felt that it just, like, the books dragged. Like, they're, like, 600-page books that I think probably could have been fine yeah. in, like, 400. Um, but I will say, like, the last 150 pages of all the books were definitely worth reading. I enjoyed them. I just yeah. I just think they were dragged out a little too much. All right, Caleb, what have you been, what have you finished reading in the last month? The last month. So I'm big on indie authors, but even bigger on the indie authors that I know and I can speak to, so I can kind of get in their mind, what are you thinking? And uh, so I just finished a series, there are more coming, it's called The Era of Undying, and that's by Emily Knight, she's an indie author, uh, and I get to message her afterwards. And so it's a, it's a numerous 
stories combining and continuing on. Uh, but the main protagonist, at least one of them anyway, is uh, a young woman. Her name is Ken. And she's, it's a magical world, dark fantasy, uh, definitely adult level. And it's so interesting because she has kind of a power that I've never actually read before. And it's that she can cut herself uh, if she's wounded in battle or whatever the case might be. And she can use the blood tendrils as weapon or keys to unlock a door. She can kind of manipulate it in the keyhole. And so it's just this really fun, entertaining book with this dark, edgy humor to it. And uh, I was able to speak to her and, and kind of get in her mind. Why would you do this? What were you thinking about this? And it just, I think that adds such an element. So those, right now she has three books. She's working on her fourth along with another series. She's just, a, she's a, an amazingly fun, fun writer. And then uh, I live up here in the greater Seattle area. And we're meeting with numerous authors, new indie authors, uh, folks trying to learn. And so I've actually been reading one by one their books. And so there's a gentleman whose name is Clyde McDade who wrote a book in 2012 called The Witcher. And, and it's, it's just a fun conglomeration of stories all combined into one. It's, it's really a good time. Uh, so I, I go for the most unknown stories and, uh, you know, I just love talking with authors afterwards and seeing where was their mind when they were doing it. So it's really fun. That is awesome. And I'm fascinated. You said it was called The Era of Undying? Yes. Yeah, so, so that's the first book. The actual series. Uh, I want to tell you it's called the Icarus series, but I could be incorrect. Okay. Uh, but the first book is Era of Undying. The second book is uh, Dagger and Sith. And that's that to me is uh, just amazing. And her third book is, it just released, I want to say about two months ago. I've read it. I'm reading it again. <clears throat> Sorry. I have an awesome chat. Um, but... I'm reading it again because it's essentially, it takes the first and second book and it's like she just, you can see the growth in writers and this one is so much sharper. It's, it's amazing. It really is. I, I'd, I'd advertise all three to anybody for sure. That is awesome. I think I'm going to add that one that, because I love that, like those dark, gritty kind of books. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm definitely going to add that on to have a, have a look. I love when you get a series of books and you can see the writer's progression as you go along. You see, the, the maturing and this kind of developing of their style as they kind of get into themselves. That's always so fascinating to see. It, it, and it is. And I, the second book very specifically just taught me so much because what she does is I, quite perfectly, and they're both, it's a, it's a couple, they're married. And I don't want to give away much at all, but essentially they are both very dark, very witty against each other, towards each other. And yet, where writers are kind of told never switch POVs, uh, uh, viewpoints mid-chapter, she does between them. So we kind of actually know what they're both thinking as they're, you know, ripping and digging into each other. But she does it so well. Uh, it, it's just masterful. I really love it. And I, you basically teach a class on it in, in some ways. It's, it's, it's epic. It's really fun. Oh, wow. I, see, I do love a good dual narrative. And to be able to do yeah. that effectively halfway through a chapter, that that takes serious skills. So, yeah, that, that sounds really fascinating. Yes, yes, it, it's an excellent read. And then uh, I also have an author named Mandy. I'm sorry, an editor that I worked with named Mandy Oyster. She has a she has a really good series. It's six books deep as of right now. It's more of a young fantasy, definitely not dark horror. It is more for the the, the general population would probably. Uh, be able to enjoy it, but it's really well done. First person view, which is 
normally outside of my realm of, of reading, but she just does it so well. It's, it's a very fun fantasy. Awesome. All right, so Liz, what are you currently reading? So, yeah, as I say, I literally finished um, The Court of Mist and Fury this morning, so haven't started much, but I was um, already reading an arc of T.J. Clune's new uh, new novel coming out, Under the Whispering Door. Uh, now, I haven't read the first one, The Cerulean Sea, oh, but I've so heard good. so much about it, and I really want to get it. It's, it's a bit harder to get it over here. It's not as available, which is annoying. Um, but, yeah, this one is brilliant. It's all about this... Um, this guy who's very career driven, he doesn't really have any friends or family because his career is his life and he works in law. Um, and then he has a heart attack one day, um, dies, and it's all about kind of what happens next. So um, he's taken to the ferryman who helps, who's helping him to kind of accept his, his, his life, well, accept the fact that he is dead and accept the next steps. So it's all about him reflecting back. It's really, it's quite emotional, um, but also at times they've done a really good job of, of making it lighthearted. They've added in a few kind of comedic moments, like there's a ghost dog um, called Apollo, um, which is really interesting. But yeah, that one I'm reading at the moment as an arc. And I just started um, about an hour before we joined the call. Um, I started reading at The Push by Audrey Ordain. Um, or Drain, I believe it is. Uh, which is a thriller. Um, it's been on my TBR for a while, and I've been really looking forward to, to reading it. So, yeah. That's awesome. I'm How about you, Holly? To, well, I'm eager to hear what you think of Push, because I've heard a lot about that. And I did read um, T.J. Clune's, uh The House on the Crillian Sea and, and loved it. It was really, really good. Um, yeah. I am currently reading um, two books. I'm reading The Final Girls Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Um, which I'm not sure yet how I feel about it. Uh, I just keep thinking as I'm reading that these people are crazy. Um, but I'm also reading C.T. Ortega's book number two of the Warfare of the Gods series. So that just happens to be the same Caleb that we have on our show today. So I read book one a while ago and really enjoyed it. And so when you know he told me that book two was coming out, um, I had to get through a couple other arcs and things that I was working on, um, but I am reading it now, and I'm about halfway through, and um, I love it. It's, you know, it's, and it's kind of weird to talk about the book with the author sitting here, but I'll talk about the book anyways. Uh, I won't give too many spoilers away, but it does pick up, like, pretty much exactly where book one ends, and which... I like that in a series. I don't like um, there being these huge time gaps between between books because then you have to kind of try to figure out well what's happened between you know yeah. when book one ended and book two started. Um, <clears throat> but I, book one ended pretty strongly because of like the epic battle at the end, and um, book two. I'm at a point right now where it's. Um, kind of hard to put down just because um, one of the characters is, is, is having a real tough time dealing with some grief issues and she's on this um, kind of no holds bar mission and nothing's going to stand on in her way but then there's a lot of things that are standing in her way and so it's it's there's just there's, there's just like a lot of uh kind of a, like an adrenaline rush that she's going through and it kind of filters out yeah. onto the page. So, <clears throat> um, 
So I'm really enjoying it. So those are the two um, that I'm primarily reading right now. So Caleb, what are you reading right now? Uh, actually, I just read through my own book because I'm in what they call the final editing phase. And uh, I am not your typical writer. I will make 150 errors per sheet per page. So I really have to go through it numerous times. And so when I'm in my final phase, I just feel like uh, I, I, if I don't give it my fullest attention, it's going to fail. And there's going to be so many more errors than it would be. So I take about two to three weeks and I dedicate that time strictly for the book, read the chapter, you know, go to the next chapter and then go back and reread the other chapter just to make sure um, to make sure I got it. So now that I'm finished, uh, I'll be picking up another book soon. And what I do, again, it's just kind of my, my joy is whether it's IG or Twitter, I'll post up, shoot me your books. And just like you said, it's kind of interesting to be able to talk with an author after, you know, as you're reading the book or, you know, bounce thoughts on why would you kill this character? What is wrong with you or whatever the case may be? I do the same. So I just go, hey, I'm interested in reading a book. And, and I get, of course, like everybody else, you get a plethora of books thrown your way. And I just, I, it's almost random spinning a wheel. I just select one and start reading it. So uh, I I just have a, a, a love for indie authors. So, yeah, we'll see. I have no idea what I'm reading next. That's awesome. Well, one of my bucket list goals in my life is to eventually publish something. I've been writing since I was 13. I have drawers full of things that I've written. Um, but I just, you know, I, I and, and we'll talk more about this later, but I'm kind of like in awe that this is what you, you, you have made this a point to be able to do this as, as your career. Um, you know, and I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, I don't have time to do anything, <laughs> like, let alone write. Like, last year I tried to do the, the November, the National November um, Novel Writing Month, and I think I got up to, like, 2,500 words written, and I don't think I've looked back at my documents since, you know, the second week of November. So I'm going to have to pick your brain on, on how, to, how to balance everything. So, um, yeah. but, yeah. Um, okay, so Liz, what are some um, upcoming releases that are going to be hitting the shelves in the next couple of weeks before our next show? Yes, so um, one of the ones that come, will be coming out probably around the same time as the next episode. Um, obviously, we might be changing some of the dates now. Um, but this one is Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. Um, now, she's done a few books already. Um, and her first one I've, I've read called Normal People, um, which was brilliant readers, very raw, very emotional. Um, and this one is coming out on the 7th of September, um, both in the UK and the US. And this one looks like kind of your typical contemporary romance. So um, Alice, a novelist, meets Felix, who works in a warehouse and asks him if he'd like to travel to Rome with her. Um, and in Dublin, her best friend Eileen is getting over a breakup and slips back into flirting with Simon, a man she's known since childhood. So it's going to be a kind of, it sounds like kind of bit of coming of age, a um, bit of drama, a bit of, of contemporary romance. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds it definitely sounds interesting. Um, and funnily enough, we did actually make a little link um, between this and one of our bookish buzz, which is the Daisy Edgar Jones, who is going to be in the um, Where the Crawdancing movie as Kyra, uh, actually played Marianne in the TV adaptation of Normal People, um, which was which, uh, which was her first novel. So nice little 
link that we um, accidentally did for this episode. Um, so what else is coming out this month, Holly? So there's two more books that are coming out. Um, one is called uh, Saya Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything um, by Raquel Vasquez Gillian. Uh, and this, it seems like it's um, one of the one of the book the books that I've kind of seen more recently is Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. So this particular yeah. book, Saya uh, uh, Martinez, is being described as kind of a combination between that book and uh, and Roswell. So it seems like it's going to be kind of a, okay. a young adult kind of book that's a coming of age that deals with some um, maybe some extraterrestrial life. So it it's going to follow an Amer- uh, Mexican-American teen who um, is going to really discover some of those connections between immigration, folklore, and aliens. So, you know, who doesn't like aliens? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so this book hits the shelves um, August uh, 10th and 11th, depending on where you live. And the other one, which I thought is just so fitting for where we are as a world, um, you know, we're still kind of in the midst of this COVID pandemic, and um, it's, you know, we've all experienced, you know, the kind of the world shutting down and quarantining and working from home and just the stress and the realities of, of where we are right now. So this book is called <clears throat> Several People Are Typing. It is a book by Calvin Kazluki. I'm really bad with names, so thankfully Kayla Ortega has a has a name I can pronounce. Um, but several people are typing. Is it really is a take on this on our world, our COVID reality world of working from home? So it is kind of a witty, almost satirical comedy that follows this guy named Gerald who works for um, a New York-based public relations firm. He's kind of like you know middle middle level um, employee and working from home and just kind of the ins and outs of his experience of trying to get his career going while working at home while trying to um, figure out how to connect with people um, you know virtually as as you know where I work we like to call it the matrix like we'll see you in the matrix um, but it's just kind of while you know they're trying to deal with online, work and and really living life almost virtually now, but then also having to combat the real life issues that you're having because the world doesn't exist solely in the computer. There is a real life component in trying to find that balance, but it seems like it's, it's going to be presented in more of a satirical comic, comic, comical kind of way. So I'm really eager and interested to see how this, how this book kind of plays out. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm definitely interested in this this sort of book because obviously we've seen lots of books that have put COVID and coronavirus um, into the books in various situations. So the whole, it, by looking at it from different angles, so from, from those of us that are still working from home, I think that's going to be really quite a fascinating read because obviously working from home is very, very different from working in the office. It is harder to kind of build up those, um, those relationships. I mean, personally, I've haven't, I've been in the office once, um, which was the other day, um, since starting my new job, and I've worked with them since eight, um, since about April last year. Um, the rest of the time we're working from home, so I know people virtually, but the first time I met everyone face to face was a few days ago. So 
it is yeah it is a lot harder doing it over virtual there are a lot of benefits but at the same time it is harder to make connections when you're just staring at a computer screen rather than actually being in person seeing their body language and and such so no I think that would definitely be a really interesting read yeah absolutely and I work in education and you know trying to run a high school of you know 1700 students when they're all on camera you, you can't make connections and it's hard yeah. it's hard to not to not to lose kids and it and you know and that's that's sad because it's it's kids it's these it's our teenagers that are graduating high school and they haven't had real life connections in you know a year so i'm glad that we were at least yeah. able, we're we're in person right now we'll see we'll see how long we're able to stay <laughs> in person you know all year but you know we are having some situations with some covid cases and um, which i think we're seeing a lot with this new delta delta strain yeah so um caleb anything that you don't know of that's coming out within the next month in the next yes i have another book coming out in the next month yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so tell us a little bit about that what's coming out and when's it coming out uh so Essentially, the series that we're discussing, the mythology series, uh, those are eight books in total. Those are all done. And kind of look around and say, okay, what's next? And I came up with a a kind of a fun theory, fun story premise. And the first book will be coming out towards the end of September. And it's called One Will Die. It's much shorter, much easier read. Um, I guess you use contractions, which is fun, because I've chosen in the mythology world that the gods won't speak in contractions. So... Uh, that did not and cannot start. It, it might not read as well, but that to me is the world that I wanted to present with them. So it's much funner, uh, much easier. And I, I have been told that the first book, especially the first book, uh, The Writer in the Throne, it's complex. You throw too much at us. It's, you, you, you offer this entire world in the first 12 chapters. How dare you? And, uh, it's such, it, it was, it was purposeful. It was intentional. And I get to take a step back and not do those kind of things with the next series. But with this one, because of the, the scope of what it was, I chose to do it. So uh, I'm, I'm really hopeful it's quite different. I did try to write it uniquely different and, and acknowledge that it's a different story. So therefore, I have to approach it as a writer. So I'm really hopeful about this one as well. It's a standalone. Awesome. So I know that I, I have it, and I'm going to start reading it as soon as I finish your book that I'm reading right now. I'm just going to go hop right into that one. So I'm really excited to, to, to read that and um, review that for you. So I'm really excited. And, and I didn't realize that you kind of changed the writing style and put in uh, some more of the informal type language. So now I'm, like, even more engaged and excited and can't wait to read it. <laughs> Yes, yes. And I, I think, of course, we all grow as writers and people, hopefully. Um, but I definitely had a different mentality, different approach. And by the time I wrote this one, I mean, I wrote The Writer in the Throne last year in May and June. By by uh, July timeframe, I was on to book two. So it's been a year plus since I've had to kind of go back and readdress, rethink about the book. And, and so now where I'm at today as a writer in this is now my 10th book. It's so uniquely different. I can understand how to express myself much sharper. Where I I know book one was truly plot-driven, I also now get to approach this one more as character-driven. And that changed the mentality of the author. And so 
it's just so interesting how each book you approach completely different as a reader and as a writer. And uh, I'm really excited for this one, but I, I'm I'm very a mind I'm an extremely mindful person. So the current book that I'm reading is definitely my favorite book, and the current book I'm writing is definitely my most you know uh, favorite book to write. So uh, two months from now, I'll say whatever I'm reading and writing are definitely my favorite. Book to <laughs> it's how I work. Well, that's good because I mean, as the author of the books, they should be your favorite things that you're definitely. writing and reading. So. Um, because if, if you can't be proud of what you're writing and you're reading, then it's going to be hard to expect other people to feel that way about your work as well. So, no, for sure, for sure. And and you should be giving a part of yourself on each page kind of thing as well. So, absolutely. Definitely. Awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will jump right into um, our interview uh, with Caleb Ortega. Caleb now on for our last segment, and we've gotten to talk to him, but now I'm going to have the great privilege of, of introducing him officially onto the show so we can get into our interview with him. So Caleb Ortega is a 20-year Army veteran who has been deployed overseas in the Middle East. He's traveled to Asia, Portugal, Israel, most of the United States, including um, Alaska and Hawaii. So seeing the world, I'm sure part of that has been um, as benefits from being in the Army. So we're going to talk a little bit about that um, in a little bit. Um, Caleb is also a single full-time father of two teenagers and Oh my God, kudos to you. I myself have two, two kids. One is a teenager now. One will be a teenager in about two weeks. Um, couldn't imagine doing it by myself. So, um, so, you know, that's, a, that's amazing to then also be a full-time writer as well. You started your own indie self-publishing company, which you talked a little bit about earlier. Um, you've talked about some of the books that you've been writing, but you've also published 15 journals online. And, of course, you've written the 10 books since May of last year that are going to be coming out, you know, over the course of the next several months and years. And, of course, you're going to continue to write more. Um, what I was fascinated about when I asked you to tell me a little bit about yourself is that by your friends, you are considered a, a combination of Mr. Rogers meets Captain America. So I'm intrigued by that one. So but we're going to get to that one, too. So, so Caleb, why don't you just kind of start telling us, like, when did you first realize that you wanted to be an author, that you wanted to write stories? Uh, so I would love to tell you at the age of six, I grabbed my pen and, and paper and, you know, just started writing, but I don't want to lie to you. So the truth would be uh, I retired from the military last year and I just, what am I? What do I want to do with my life? This, this thing, this entity has basically been, my label and what I have been and what I've dedicated myself to for the last 20 years. So what am I now? And uh, I took a ride to Mount Rushmore. And when I drive, I tend to kind of do it with, with either uh, theatrical music or orchestra or the, the, the radio's off and I just kind of let my mind wander. And as I was on my 18-hour trip, an idea just hit me. And it was the idea of mixing mythologies. The clash. How how would Vikings and Thors and the Odins of the world get together with Zeus, who's you know prim and proper and pretty democratic and you know a smooth talker? And the idea just crushed into me that this would be a great book. I, I I'm going to research to see if I find something like that. I think this would be a great story for someone to tell. 
and and my initial thought was definitely someone else. And uh, the secondary thought was, you could do it. You know, you're kind of retired. You could do something. You could dedicate some time. And why not? Why not give it a shot? And so I, by the time I had got to Mount Rushmore, which was about a two-day trip, I had already written about 25,000 words. By the time I got home uh, two months later, the book had just poured out. And it had, it had never stopped. It has not stopped since. It just kept going and going. So I would like to tell you it was a lifelong dream. In truth, it was just a, an epiphany of a, an idea that I felt that I wanted to give a shot to. And because of, I would say, my military background where, you know, you go to work at 5, you come home at 7 p.m. and, you know, 14-hour days, it wasn't hard for me to take that work ethic that I've been kind of handed to and then put it into a computer and just, okay, I'm going to sit down for the next three hours and I'm going to write. And uh, I'm a two-finger typer, but I will eventually get that chapter done. And and so it's been amazing. It's just been a really fun ride. Uh, because it's I'm, I'm a year and a half deep in this new career path, and it's fresh and it's new, and, you know, there's so much for me to learn still, uh, I consider myself much more of a, a storyteller than a writer per se, and, and that I have so much more of the craft to learn. And so when I wrote the first book, um, I, I'm going to say, thankfully, I understood that it kind of takes a village to raise a baby, takes a village to, to raise a solid book, I believe. Uh, I passed that book through about three beta readers before I handed it to three editors. And I told them, you change whatever you like. And I just, I, as long as the core story makes it through, I think we're going to be all right. And, and I've had epic, epic conversations great learning curve and uh i think it, it it shined through their work shined through to help my work become much stronger so. fantastic um obviously we have briefly mentioned your warfare of the god series and you just mentioned it a moment ago tell us a bit more about the series um so kind of give us an overview for those who don't know what what the series is okay absolutely so first off i'm a lover of culture of philosophies and all philosophies and it's amazing how some of these philosophies are completely different and they contrast each other and they, they just don't blend and then there's some that they really just connect it's just a different wording a different verbiage but it does mean the same thing and so as somebody who just has always studied morals and ethics um i i'm taking that idea and giving it a name what type of character and philosophy would Odin, the great, you know, a Norse god, have versus Zeus, versus Osiris, versus Lord Shiva, the Hindu uh, uh, culture? And so taking all those and saying, let's just throw them in a pot and, and very cancer-style writing, non-linear, how would they react in a room together? And where would this go? And so uh, it is essentially three different cultures. You have the Norse culture, you have the Greek Culture, and then you have the Duat culture, which is going to be the Lord Shiva Hinduism, along with your Egyptian mythology. And the three, they, they coexist, but they don't really get along. And I, I initially begin the book, the book at the breaking point. The straw that broke the camel's back happens in the first three to four chapters. So uh, immediate immersion, you are thrown into the deep end of the book, and we get to witness it through the the one of the main characters known as the writer and he's he's an individual from heaven i'm sorry he's an individual from earth and he's been handpicked to become this non-biased author of who's right who's wrong what's really going on so that you know heaven or a single loop as i call it is has their own 
version of a newspaper of what truly happened during this war. So it's been viewed through a 19-year-old boy. We get multiple viewpoints of the gods, different philosophies crashing. And then at the end, it comes together, I think, maybe in about the final third of a, of a, a fun war, I'd like to believe. Yeah, I, I really like the concept. I love the idea of having all the gods kind of in one in one place um, and being ruled over by one big mighty. I thought that was really fascinating. And I felt also that it was really nice how you kind of personified the gods a bit. You almost made them more human. Um, it kind of felt a little bit like Ili- the Ili- Iliad, because obviously in the Iliad, it's, you see all these gods kind of having petty squabbles and and basically being very human. And it felt like the, that you personified the um, the gods in your book. Did you do that kind of purposefully? Um, Absolutely. And I, I, I would tell you, I think that's one of the most important things that we can grab from mythology is the humanistic nature of the gods. I mean, uh, Zeus, there's there's these beautiful proverbs on how he sees everything and he judges everything and he watches over his, his creation and, you know, he's loving. And then at the same time, there's these stories about how he's, uh, you know, an adulterer and, you know, eats babies in certain stories. It's just, you know, these wildly fantastic other stories that bring them down. To our human level of, you know, making errors and such, and and that's the same with Norse mythology as well. They they humanize their characters, and to a very strong degree, uh, um, the Bible carries similar vibes to it on how they humanize them, as if he has the, their belief in in the creator of the universe has a body, and yet they'll tell you philosophically that's just an illusion. Uh, it's not really meant to be that way. It's just how we understand it. So the humanization of gods has happened for, you know, since, since we began speaking language and discussing them. I just thought it would work that way as a story as well, is that the philosophy they hold is spectacular and it's true and it's powerful, but they make wrong choices too sometimes. Yeah, no, I, it definitely, your book, I felt, um, I don't know if Holly agrees, some of the gods, you see them in a very different light once you've read the book. <laughs> um, especially Zeus. Zeus I saw in a very, very different light um, by the end of the, the novel. Um, how are you, Holly? Did you, do you agree with that? I, I do. And, you know, <laughs> and I think I learned a lot because, you know, mm. I think we all kind of have some general basic understanding of Greek and Roman mythology and, and a little bit of the Norse mythology and maybe even just a, a hint of some of the other ones that just aren't, I don't want to say that they're not popular, but ones that we just don't, you know, see a lot of. Um, so, yeah. you know, to to see them together was was really, really intriguing. Uh, but I think I learned a little bit about the different types of mythology and it made me a little bit more interested. And, you know, and part of me is kind of ashamed to say this, but I was a high school English teacher for 14 years before I moved into administration. And, you know, we always had mythology as part of our curriculum and, you know, but we always just kind of stuck with Greek and Roman mythology and we never really delved into some of the other ones. I do remember there were times where I would, I would try to bring in some North mytho- Norse mythology just to kind of spice it up for the kids because by that point, by the time they're juniors in high school, they, they know about the Greek and Roman gods. But it's, yeah. you know... But I almost feel like I know a little bit more now about that there are so many different types of of mythology and gods. Um, On a more humorous note, when I first started reading, um, and Thor Thor is in the book, and I will admit that it took me a couple.
couple chapters to stop picturing Chris Helmsworth every time I read Thor's name. <laughs> but um, yeah, don't. Yeah, I, I had exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. But but I think you, it's Marvel's but, Yeah, but listen, you know, when you brought up the fact that you felt that they were very personified, I think Caleb, your ability to personify them the way you did in your writing was what was able for for me to to kind of move beyond the um you know the the media presentation of pop culture of what thor looks like and view him much differently um and so you know by you know you know by the time they're battling at the end of of that first book like I wasn't picturing Chris Helmsworth anymore. I was, I very much had developed a new image yeah. of him based on where we were going. Um, and where you no, were definitely. In the book. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, did, how much research did you have to do into the different gods? Were you, um, have you always been a massive fan of the, the gods or did you need to do extra research for this series? Uh, no, well, first, thank you very much. Uh, I think that more shows on how awesome Chris Hemsworth is for than anything, so that's really <laughs> great. Um, but when it comes to mythology, especially the story aspect, it's really interesting because the truth is uh, there is no one book that you can go to for, let's say, Norse specifically or Greek mythology and learn everything there is. So you might read a little bit of, of Homer's Odyssey and then you're going to kind of get a little concept of yeah. a few of the gods. And then you read another book and it's, it's almost a completely different god, but they use the same name. And then in another, he's, you know, Zeus is presented in different lights depending on the situation we need him, if, so to speak, as writers, and they, they mold him. And so for me personally, I definitely read, I definitely studied, and I've always loved mythology, but philosophy above that. What I wanted to do in the first book, I do try to write each one differently because I don't want a, a one-story plot line kind of feel to it. I do want each one a little bit different, but with the first one specifically, it's a, it's the characters, it's the plot, it's the world, but also I wanted to hide a little bit more of philosophy. So by the end of it, you will know, uh, overall the Greek mythology philosophy of free will. And, and sometimes free will goes very well. And, and sometimes it doesn't. It really just depends on the individual. And then the Norse concept um, of, uh, you know, fate. Everything is fate driven. And when fate rules over your life, uh, some people are captivated by it and, and they merge and they do amazing things because at the end of the day, I know fate is on my side. And then some people, it imprisons them. So I tried to play with those concepts. I wanted you to be reintroduced to all the characters in, in a way that initially you meet them. And this is Zeus. He's the king of, of, of the immortals. We know him very well. But by the end of it, you're saying, this is not what I knew at all. And it's my own invention. It's my own thought process put into it and that's really the intent of the book is to reinvent the characters reintroduce you and kind of let you know everything that you know uh and i explain it and initially in the book as well just for fun is that everything you know about the gods is strictly because the gods told you this is how they wanted to present themselves so of yeah. course the gods are all knowing of course they're all superpowered beings but in truth if you really got to spend time with them they're, they're flawed individuals and so it was really fun to play with those ideas concepts twist them around, and, and I do try to do it in, I would say, a most respectful way um, and, and really walk the line of reinventing them. Well, uh, I do that note that some people truly do have a belief system in these, these uh, characters and people, how they understand it, so I wanted to be respectful of that as well. 
That's awesome. Um, so with your kind of interest and passion in mythology, um, uh, how has being in the military, you were in the military for 20 years. So first of all, thank you for your service. That is a tremendous commitment to our country. So thank you for that. Um, but how has being in the military and your experience there and traveling and being a dad, like how has those kind of life experiences influenced you as, um, as a writer, as a storyteller? Um, so I am, I'm uh, empathetic to the umpteenth degree. So when I'm overseas and I'm looking at, we'll say a North Korean who's, you know, they're the bad guys, so to speak, and they're guarding their gates and they're protecting their people. Um, I never look at things as clear as black and white and just say, oh, he's, I'm good. He's bad. I'm looking at him and saying, this man is probably a father. He's probably uh, just doing what he understands to be the right thing to do. In his mind, he, he should be and is probably 100% believing that he's just keeping his people safe, as as any human being, I think, would do in his situation. And and then you go to the Middle East, and, and there's dangerous situations, and you're looking around saying, but I, it, had things just been slightly different, had maybe a few conversations in history gone a little bit more loving and with compassion, I could be visiting this place and sitting down and drinking tea and having a good time with it. But because the situation is different, it, the situation and the principles and the philosophy almost dictates how I talk to people. And, and so I don't want that. I want to talk to everybody with the utmost respect, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. And so that concept allowed me to bring that into the book that it's not the good guy beats the bad guy at the end. In truth, this book is, you know, three different armies with numerous captivating characters, I would hope, uh, all arguing, debating what is right, what is wrong, what does right really look like, what is my way versus her way, and, and is there compromise and all that, and, and trying to do it in a way that everybody's good and yet everybody's faulted. And, and to do that was the overall goal, because when I look at the world today with all the traveling that I've done, uh, I, very few people, I'm going to use the word bad in a generic way, but very few people are bad. Most people, if they're selfish, it's because they're broken. It's because they're, they're making, you know, maybe a poor choice. But overall, they're, they're doing so many other things, you know, taking care of family, kids, and whatever the case may be. So these moments of lapse of judgment that ends up, you know, having negative results, it's still not necessarily something you always have to say, this is a bad person. There's bad people in the world. I tend to overall, you know, that Mr. Rogers, Captain America thing is, uh, I tend to try to see the best of people. And even in uh, the the main, I'm going to use antagonist in this story, they're still revealed in some ways as loving characters, because I, I do believe that overall, even, you know, the bad people of the world still love their daughters take care of their, their mother, whatever it might be, you know, love, a, love their cats, but they still have that capability to be loving people. And I wanted that to be in the story. So uh, my, the, the, the book series is very much engulfed in who and what I have been for the last 20 years and looking at, you know, determining Thor in this book, for example, who, who is on a mission to go to war, who believes his fate is on his side, there's still moments when, you know, he learns of someone near to him passing where he breaks down and cries with, you know, his, his family nearby. And to me, that's very natural. It's, it's the way it should be versus, you know, that one dimensional character 
we still have to defeat the world. We have to defeat the world or whatever, you know, that it is. I wanted them to have that depth and texture because I do believe uh, even the people on the other side of the, the armies against us, so to speak, are, uh, they're in depth and they're rich in culture and, you know, textured people as well. Yeah, I think that came across really clearly in the book that all the characters had so many different layers. And as you say, there wasn't any clear, this is good, this is bad. It was quite, it's quite a gray area of these people seem bad, but they're still doing good things. So are they, are they the bad people? So I think that was done really well. Um, and it's obviously fascinating to hear about your inspiration, obviously from your, from your life and from your past. Who would you say is your literary inspiration? Which writers inspire you? I'm going to use a few closer friends, but uh, number one is the one who gave me the love. I, I'm, I love Lord of the Flies. I'll just say that. I've read this numerous times. Uh, the concept is just, it's something I find myself as I'm driving down the street, just really going over and, and the fall of how, uh, uh, you know, not just kids in the book, but of course society could collapse without laws and rules and regulations and these kind of things. It's just, I, I'm always thinking about that book. I find myself, uh, but in all truth, it's, it's the simple of both. I, I don't read any particular book and then and just reading the rest of them. I'm, I'm really, I buy into the author more than even sometimes the book. So Beverly Cleary, I've always left her for little simple books, like read them all as a kid. Stephen King to me is like the ultimate author um, for, for him to put out as much information, not just book work ethic wise, uh, it, the advice he gives, it just feels like, you know, he's not talking to me. He's actually nurturing my soul because he's just, he knows what to say, how to say it in a way that makes it so understandable. And then you read his, uh, library of books and it's just amazing. So, uh, overall, I think Stephen King is somebody I find myself talking about all the time. Yeah. I, I love the fact that you brought up Lord of the Flies. I, I too, that is one of my all time favorites when, you know, I, I look at some of those more classical type books. Um, Lord of the Flies and The Count of Monte Cristo are the two books that I would always talk about. And kind of going back to the fact that I was an English teacher, um, I made a point of that was Lord of the Flies was always a book that I used in my classroom um, and, and exposed my students to because it was just so it's, – it's such a powerful look at society. And mm. – um, and William Golding, actually, there's some some videos of him talking about the book and kind of like where he was in his thought process of why he, you know, chose to write about a book of, you know, all boys and, you know, on this island and what it says about society. Uh, and I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, the, the, the bad people, per se. You know, they... That's perception. You know, you hear people say perception is reality. You know, our perception of somebody is, you know, that's holding a gun, you know, defending another country. They're the bad guys. But like you said, for them, they don't perceive themselves as the bad people. They're trying to protect their families, their country, their culture. Um, and so it's it, it really all is kind of, you know, focused on that same concept. Um, yeah, and I agree. Stephen King has some amazing, like, like advice out there. But what would be advice you would give to an, a new author or an author who's trying to kind of get their first book out there? Um, what are some words of wisdom wisdom you have? 
Uh, the f- most important, and I believe this for all things in life, is you have to know yourself. If you know yourself, everything else to me falls in line. You go to work, and if you know yourself, if that's not something you're passionate about, then you shouldn't do it. You can switch jobs rather than doing something for 30 years and being miserable. Knowing yourself is key. So when it came to writing, I believe in two things. One, know yourself. Two, never look back. Looking back is for the editing process, and you don't do that until it's time to edit. Never review mentally. Never go back in, 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 in a judgmental way. The only time I look back in one of my previous chapters is if I need to remember what weapon did this guy, this person have? What, wait, where was this person at the table? And I'll look back and say, okay, I have that information and go forward. The, the biggest error why I see people not finishing their books is simply because they go back and they're looking at it as if it's a finished manuscript and it's not. It's nowhere near and it's not really meant to be. And it'll bring you down emotionally. It'll bring you down mentally and just say, like, I'm not a good writer. It makes you doubt everything. But the truth is all you're doing when you're drafting is you're not carving the uh, uh, statue. You're just essentially putting up the lump of clay that in the editing phase you will carve. And if you're looking at this lump of clay as if it's a statue, it's not going to work. It will be ugly, and you're going to judge, and you're going to close your book, delete it, throw it in a drawer, and forget about it. When If you allow yourself to go through the process, uh, I I would like to see people who have authored almost guide first-time authors and just say, you got to keep writing, you got to keep writing. And so that when you write those words, the end, you get a weight lifted, you feel amazing, and you know how it works it's like you almost put on a new hat and it becomes a new exciting trip to go into the editing phase because if you're trying to edit while writing it's exhausting it's stressful it's nerve-wracking if you wait till the end now you're done drafting you have that that feeling of completion you feel energized you feel excited then you can go into the editing phase with this newfound motivation and if you have the proper mentality about it, you're now able to start carving it rather than judging it. Never judge yourself. Never judge your work. And then I, I think it becomes judgmental time when you feel like, okay, I've gone through this once or twice. You hand it off to an editor. You hand it off to other people because uh, if, you, if you're waiting for perfection, you're, you might as well never pick up that. It's just not going to happen. So. Uh, let others start viewing it, get others input, but just write, write every day that, you, I mean, again, on your motivation kind of thing, uh, but knowing yourself, write without judgment, write without looking back, write forward, write the story down. Those are some really good words, um, very good words, though, obviously, for anyone who wants to get into writing. Um, just on the topic of writing process, Talk us a bit through your your writing process. Do you plan a lot before you write, or do you just get on and kind of just spontaneously um, write still down? I'm I am 100% answer style writer. Um, so I sit down. Okay, where's my character at? And we just flow. And wherever the story flows, it flows. I have a general idea where you start seeing how the the layout could end. It doesn't yes. go that way, but it kind of keeps <laughs> you on some sort of mental script. Um, but that's my style. I don't believe it works for everybody. I don't want to know the ending. So as I was writing book one, two, and three of this series, uh, knowing I think I'm going to end it about book five, 
I, I had no idea how it was going to end. And that was, it's stressful, it's nerve wracking, but I, I think we're intelligent people. So we kind of can figure this out on the way. And, and that's what I tend to do. Yeah. Uh, some people have to know the ending and write that. To me, I would tell you, I make my money during the editing phase. So how I work is I will write one chapter every day. And, and that's, if I don't go to bed till one o'clock that morning, that's my own fault because I should have written, woke up earlier, whatever the case <laughs> might be. I think that's my military aspect that doesn't, yeah. there, it doesn't allow for any excuses. The mission must be done. So I, I write at least one chapter and that tends to be about 700 to a thousand words. So, I mean, it's not exponentially long, but it, it's a decent amount of writing that day. And then I also go back and I edit a previous chapter. So I'm consistently editing one chapter at a minimum and writing one chapter, which keeps me in this uh, rhythm flow forward that it's a never ending. As soon as one book is done, I've also completed editing one book. Now I start writing a new book and I go and edit another book. And it's just this rhythm that I have. And so um, having knowing myself, knowing what works for me, uh, I'm able to consistently do that. And I, I actually just passed 500 days every day of writing. So I'm kind of excited wow. about that. And, and the rhythm that I have created will allow for me to publish a book um, no later than once every 90 to 100 days. So I'm very excited about that as well. That's impressive. That's, yeah, that's a massive achievement. 500 days of, of writing straight. That's pretty impressive. Um, do you have any, um, do you use any particular writing tools uh, or do you just do kind of just computer and, and word kind of thing? I, I do. I use a Google Docs, open it up, just write down. And then uh, my, I think my strength is in acknowledging that I can't do this alone. And so I've surrounded myself with uh, an amazing book cover artist. I've uh, numerous editors. I mean, Instagram to me, I think everybody's a little different, but Instagram to me has been the best platform to meet great book reviewers, beautiful human beings who read your book, offer insight, and, and prior to putting it out, you kind of get a feel for it. And so to me, I think my greatest strength is knowing how weak I am, that I can trust other people. And that, that'd be my biggest tool. But I use, as far as documents goes, Google Doc. It'll underline a word if it's misspelled. Can't go wrong with that. And then uh, I do spot check with iGrammarly, which I, I know that everybody has their own platform, what they like using. Uh, I do enjoy it. And then from there, I actually download it into Word, which does another additional check. So before I hand it off, I've read it uh, at least once, not through two or three, and then I hand it off. And, and um, trust other people with your work uh, if they're good people. Mm. That's awesome. Well, before we get to our final piece that we always end our shows with an either or segment. So one of those speed round kind of, you don't get to really think you got to pick one or the other. Um, I do want to ask you, you, um, said that you have your, uh, kind of an indie author self publishing company. Tell us a little bit about like the origins of that and how that works. I began writing with no knowledge of how much it costs to publish a book, how to format a book. What, you know, I just know open a Google Doc, type a bunch of words, and we'll figure this out as we go. Kind of thing. And so I studied YouTube. I watched, you know, I opened up, I mean, hours and hours of just studying. And I wanted to give myself a bachelor's degree in, in, in publishing a book. And I spent months deciding, should I go for the query letter self-publishing or should I do traditional route? You know, how to, which one is going to be right for me? So uh, as the book was ending, I had already said that I'm going to be a self-publishing author because what that does is give the power to me. 
and the responsibility if I fail, the burden is on me. And I'm okay with all of that because the truth is I'm not, I'm not in it as much for the money as to try to give my story to people who might enjoy it. That's really it for me. So, uh, the idea of somebody shelving my book for X amount of time until it becomes a popular thing just did not fit well. So there was a few reasons why I made it that way. Um, with that being said, it's, it's an undocumented world. One editor will charge you $500 where another editor is $2,500, but you think you're getting a great deal. And, and it's, it's how they present themselves. It's how they sell themselves. One book cover artist is $75 and another one is six, $700. And the quality and the scope, it's, it's so different. And, and I mean, essentially it's what programs do these people use? What education do they use? And there's no, there is no certificate for editors to say, I'm a doctor. Right. I have I have five years of experience. It doesn't necessarily mean five years of same experience as this person who has three. You know, and, and so the quality is different. We, it's such uncharted waters that to me, I felt like I could do something at least offering. If somebody just has the same ignorance that I had in the in, I just want to write a fun book and, and I don't want it to cost a fortune. How do I do that? Uh, I've met amazing people. I have met those people who I believe offer the quality. They have the love of books and they're willing to do it at the lowest economic price because it's, they know the feeling of holding your first book. They know what it feels like. So, uh, I went to off, I went to a group of editors and I asked each one, if you edit a book for $500, you have the pressure of being the only one. Your name is on that book as the editor. If that book has any errors, you're at fault. That's a lot of pressure for an editor. And knowing that they're human beings, how about I give you $250 and I'm going to have it edited by two people. So now the pressure is off because you know somebody's going to double check your work. So now for $500, I pay two editors. Your book is edited twice by professionals. They're stress-free because they know another, you know, uh, quality person is checking their work. And now I've given that indie author the best that I can offer at the lowest guaranteed price. When it comes to book covers, I've learned a little bit, but I, I have a few book covers. One very specific, amazing woman. And, and she's, she's able to produce ebooks and paperbacks at the lowest price. And she does it because she wants books in people's hands. So when you surround yourself again by good people who have that same desire, Sometimes you just need that one nucleus person to kind of point it in the right direction. And, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, I, we've worked with a few indie authors already helping them to put together. And, and, and the two things I've heard consistently was this is especially for a book covers. The book covers amazing. I couldn't be happier. And the other is I've gone to a hundred places and you're still the cheapest and yet you offer the most. And that was very important to me. And so, uh, it's just, I would say I'm more administration than, you know, CEO of something. I'm pointing people to the right direction, collect payments, run them through our gambit of, of quality folks, and uh, help them to hold their own book. Yeah. And what's the name of the company? It is called Open World Publishing. It's based out of Seattle. Um, it is not, it, we have been helping folks and, and enjoying the whole ride. But it's not something I'm actually looking at uh, beginning to advertise until next year. Next year, I'll also begin doing videos on on character development, plot, story, how to create and write your own stories, little short snippets. And I mean, I just believe it, people have a story to tell, 
And sometimes it's just, how do I get it out? And then mm-hmm. once you get it out, the truth is, how do I get it published? The big monster of publishing. And, and um, you know, we just want to be one avenue to help. So towards the beginning of next year, I'll really start putting on that hat a little bit more. Uh, as uh, I have about three books coming out towards the end of this year that once I get those out, okay, we'll, we'll move on to the other. Yeah. I'm just like in awe that you have just like, <laughs> you know, within like just over a year, you got out of the military and is like, let's start telling stories. And you, you've already accomplished so much in such a short period yeah. of time that it's, it really is very inspirational. Um, and it, it, I think it makes a lot of, I hope, cause I, you know, that's something that I want to one day be able to, to hold my own book. Um, but I, I hope that it gives people like encouragement that, you know, you just, you, you can do it. You just got to sit down and just believe in yourself, like you said, and, you know, and just get the words out. Like, I think for me, that's probably my biggest roadblock is I just got to get my words on paper and not judge them as I'm getting them out. Because I think that's what I do is like every time I write a sentence, I judge it. And it, it it's, I think that's the biggest thing. And just to have to hear that, it, no, just get it down, just get it down because it's not perfect when it goes down, but you can't do anything about it until it's down on paper. Um, and that's when like once it's down, that's when you can really bring the magic into it. I was going to say, I think it's also um, like so inspiring that not only did you obviously write already 10 books in, in the year and you st- told your story, but also that you're now going on to, to help other people to tell their own stories and really to help promote them, which is, I think, one of the most inspirational aspects of this is that you've gone on to use your own experience to, to help other people progress as well. Absolutely. I, I believe, um, and I, I told my kids this, one of my sons at, you know, 14, I want to be an actor, I want to be a musician, whatever it might be. And my initial question for anybody who's hoping to achieve their dream is very simple. If you want to be an actor, are you okay not making it to Hollywood, but acting in your local part with, you know, 15 other uh, people who are passionate about acting, working with somebody who's passionate about screenplay in front of 12 people? You know, if you want to be a musician, are you comfortable not making the big CD in Hollywood, but, you know, working at a local pub, jamming out your music, getting your, your group to listen? Because somebody who's passionate about something, they, we often somehow click it with success as if that's, yeah. that's, that made it worth it, right? Writing your book, if you want to write that book, uh, I remember getting my first review, first two, three reviews coming in, like it was a good story, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that alone was enough. It was just that validation that what I have been doing is good enough. So the first thing I do when I talk with any indie author is what do you plan with this book? And if, if it's beyond holding it and, you know, those who read it enjoy it, if you're thinking, well, I'd like to have it to be a movie one day, I, I, I'm not telling you that that dream can happen, but I want to bring that level, that scope of reality that I do think that there's some amazing authors. And that's why I'm passionate about reading unknown indie authors uh, versus the big scale books. And not that the big scale books aren't amazing. They're, they're, they're definitely amazing for a reason. But uh, it's just because I do believe that there's such great work out there. Are you passionate whether success comes or not? And if you're not, uh, if you are, then that's where I believe my company helps the, the most. We're going to get your yeah. book in your hands for the lowest cost. And uh, we, we, 
we're on this world for, you know, maybe 120 years if we live and eat apples and drink healthy things all the time. Um, write your book. Like, do what you, what your, your goal is so that you can have that book forever and you can hand it to your kids and stay self-effective. You can achieve your dream if you want to. You know, that, that type of inspirational stuff. And I just, I'm happy to be part of it. I think the book world, um, is, is so amazing. In a kind of a, you know, toxic world, people say, uh, the book society world is quite the opposite. And it's, it's just amazing. It truly is amazing, people. That's, oh, I got goosebumps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kayla, before we move into our either or, um, I want to, I just want to say thank you. Like, just the advice you've provided, the inspiration, you know, that, that you're giving to people, um, kind of just, it's, you really kind of are the Mr. Rogers meets Captain America. And, you know, and it, it's funny because, in, you know, just the last 45 minutes of, of having you on the show and just talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more, um, you know, because we've kind of talked and, and interacted on, you know, on Instagram, but to actually be able to talk to you, not really in person, but, you know, in the Matrix, <laughs> <laughs> and, and to hear your story, it, it's it really is motivational, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll yeah. open up my Google Doc later today and see if I can get some more words written down. Um, so I do appreciate, I know Liz does too, that you, you took the time this morning to, okay. um, to, to be with us. And um, so now we're going to do the difficult, challenging either or. When you don't get to think, you have to make a choice. Um, so there's, okay. ten, there's always ten questions. This, um, these 10 questions, there's five that are about mythology and then there's five just about writing and, and like writing style. So I'll ask the question, Caleb, you answer first, Liz, you answer second and I'll answer third. And then we're just going to kind of roll through them. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So question number one, Norse mythology or Egyptian mythology? Egyptian. Norse. I would say Norse. Um, number two, gods or creatures? Uh, gods. Yeah, gods. I'm going creatures. Um, three, <laughs> uh, Mount Olympus or Asgard? Mount Olympus. Uh, Asgard. I'm going Mount Olympus. Uh, <laughs> Greek or Roman? Roman. Roman. I'm going to go Greek. Um, all right, our last mythology one: Thor or Zeus? Zeus. Oh, you've ruined Zeus, me. I think I'm going to go Thor as well. Okay, so now into writing. Uh, number six: pen or typing? I'm sorry. Like handwriting or typing? Oh, typing, typing. Sorry. Typing, definitely. See, I'm a paper, like, I type, but I'm a paper pencil girl, so I'm going to go pen. <laughs> um, writing in silence or having background noise? Silence. Yeah, silence. Oh, absolutely silence. I can't even read. Um, all right. <laughs> Do you like to write in the morning or write in the evening? Both. Morning, though. Okay. Uh, i got to get evening. Definitely evening. Um, <laughs> we kind of already talked a little bit about this, but... Edit and revise in chunks or wait until the end and do the whole thing? Wait until the end and do the whole thing. Yeah, wait until the end. 
I'm going to now change to waiting to the end. <laughs> but maybe that's my problem because I've done the I've done it in chunks. So uh, okay. And then the last one is: Do you like to write at home or somewhere else, like a coffee shop or outside? Home. Yeah, home. Um, I'm probably gonna go coffee shop. I'm too distracted. At home. <laughs> and then I get my Starbucks, so it's a win-win for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for participating in our either or segment. Um, so this has been such a fun show, and I hope that everyone who listens to it uh, in- enjoys it and is able to take something out of it and gets inspired. So, Caleb, how can they find you on social media? I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all under author dot ct ortega or something like you you can easily find me there and uh happy to talk with anybody all the time awesome and again i'm holly i am on instagram at az desert bookworm so check me out and liz where can they find you yeah uh yeah i'm on instagram as well and i am at lizzie's little book nick um and of course they can also read your website can't they Oh yeah, so I have Holly, what's yours? I have my blog. It is thebookshelf.substack.com. And Liz, what's And name? just to have it nice little easy, mine is Lizzie's Little Bookneck.co.uk. Um and in fact I am actually going to be posting my review of Caleb's book um this afternoon. So um when this launches you'll be able to go and have a look um on both platforms. And so, my, my review thank you. For, oh, I was just saying, my, my review for Caleb's first book is, is on my um, on my blog as well right now. So, and Caleb, do you have a website? Uh, yes, it's ctortega.com as well, yes. Perfect. All right, Lizzie, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's fine. I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming in today, Caleb. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure. And, of course, um, when is, just to remind us, when is your next book coming out? Oh, so this was a standalone. It is called One Will Die. That book is being published on October 4th. I think he wants to say hello. So, yes, October 4th, and it's it's very fun. It is a really fun book. Yeah, it's fantastic. We can't, can't wait to read that. Um, and just a reminder, the next episode is dropping a little bit earlier this, um, this next month. It's going to be dropping on September 6th. Um, so, again, thank you very much, Caleb. Holly? Any yeah. final words? No, thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's or this month's episode of Speaking Literally. And like Liz just said, we will be back with our next episode on Monday, September 6th. So we can't wait to um, get back and talk more bookish stuff. So until then, everyone, enjoy the month. And if you have kids going back to school, good luck to the kids going back to school. Um, thank you, everyone. Have a great month. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.